Hello and welcome to the Alpine Threat and Fraud Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss business approaches to reducing risk, improving regulatory compliance, and accelerating public safety. So this is a pretty broad subject, and each episode will focus on a specific challenge, technology, or role that's relevant in efforts to protect society and keep the bad guys away. Uh, my name is Earl Stevens. I'm the director of Threat and Fraud here at Alpine. I'm joined by Stan Duda, the founder and CEO of Alpine Consulting, and Quinn Gooden, who is Alpine's analytics architect. Welcome, guys. Great to be with you. Uh, Stan, can you tell us a bit about Alpine? Sure can. Thank you, Earl. Be happy to do so. Uh, Alpine is a Austin, Texas-based information technology solution firm. Uh, we focus on solving business challenges through the use of technology. We've got two major practice areas. One is e-commerce, where we integrate and deploy complex e-commerce platforms using Magento, which is owned by Adobe, uh, Big Commerce, and then uh, web, IBM's WebSphere Commerce. Uh, our other practice area is built around threat and fraud. For this podcast series, we're going to focus uh, subjects related to threat and fraud. Alpine's threat and fraud practice has really traditionally been vertically focused around banking, financial services, and law enforcement, but we've crossed over into other corporate-based investigations covering uh, other vertical industries like insurance or healthcare, uh, gaming. We've done done some work out in uh, Las Vegas, hospitality, retail, and, and some others as well. Uh, today, we're going to have Quinn talk a little bit about his experience as a law enforcement officer in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, more specifically about the work that he did to help the city establish crime analysis and intelligence-based functions. Gotcha. And, and Quinn, uh, great to have you here with us. I thought we could start out uh, by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in crime analysis. Uh, thanks, Earl. Um, so my name is Quinn Gooden. Um, just to give you a little bit about my history, I spent 12 years as a Baltimore City police officer. Um, had the opportunity to work in a, a few different units there. I started off patrol. I worked the flex unit for my district. I was in the drug unit. Um, I was the intelligence officer for my district, so I was uh, doing the gang investigations attached to the drug unit. Um, I had a chance to work in computer crimes for a while, and I, towards the end of my career at the police department, I was in planning and research, uh, where we acted as kind of the bridge between the intelligence section and the MIS section. Um, I also, uh, in other work history, um, I've spent some time on some DHS contracts. Um, I spent two years as a cybersecurity specialist for British Telecom, and I've been working my role with Alpine for a little over three years at this point. Time, time sure flies. It's great to have you aboard. We're, we're thankful to have, uh, have you and all your knowledge and hard work that you've brought forth to all of our clients. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Sam. You bet. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your first day on the job, just to give uh, folks uh, some background. Um, they do say that if you're uh, in a large agency or a, a big city like uh, Baltimore, that you, you get more experience there in a short period of time than you know, get in other places. And um, my very first day in field training, um, it was probably less than two hours on the street. I had my first arrest. Uh, it, it wasn't anything special. But, uh, it was an open warrant for somebody that we just stopped. So I could spell his name. So basically, that's how I got that arrest. So don't be too impressed with that. But it was still in less than two hours. 
Um, but very shortly after that, uh, after we cleared that, um, there was a shooting like right on the border of the Eastern District and the Northern District where I was assigned. So there's, uh, we ended up responding to a huge crime scene that's you know, over two blocks along from where it occurred to where the guy ran the call for assistance. Um, so, you know, it's a couple districts, a lot of detectives and crime scene tape for blocks. And to finish the day off, like right before my shift ends, we get a call for an in-progress burglary and we end up making a burglary arrest on my first day. So... Pretty pretty exciting stuff for a first day, for goodness sake. <laughs> well, thankfully, uh, we, we haven't uh, put you up to any of that kind of stuff with, uh, with an alpine, and surely not on your first day. <laughs> a day still early. Well, this is true. <laughs> this is true. In, in the early days of your analysis experience, Quinn, what were some of the problems that, that you were asked to tackle, and um, were they specific areas of focus? Um, so... A lot of what we were focused on um, when I first got to the crime analysis unit was uh, modernization and automation. And there were a lot of other people on the team as well that did uh, outstanding work towards this. Um, just to give you an example of some of the things that we were doing, like uh, one of the first assignments I had was doing time probability. Um, I was using Quattro Pro 8, though, to do this. And this was I probably in 2007. I was still using Quattro Pro 8 and this. I think it came out in like 96, 97 is when Quattro Pro was kind of a thing. So we, we were a little behind the times on some of the technology and a little bit of the method methodology. Um, you know, even though we were getting the results done, we, it was something that we really wanted to focus on modernizing and, and automating. So we weren't spending as much time as, as many man hours because it was, it was kind of a drain on time doing um, in a program like that. You, we had to manually go post by post, district by district, and do all these figures uh, and just hand enter it. So, oh, geez. it was a big help to to automate that. Yeah. So it, you mentioned Quattro Pro Eight. You know, as you're early on in the intelligence process, there, what kinds of other uh, tools and technologies were provided to you, and and how were those technologies used? So obviously, we um, we we used a lot of mapping software. So the uh, planning and research where I was assigned, um, we contributed to the ComStat book. We created those every week. And if you're not familiar with the ComStat process, it's uh, normally a weekly meeting that's held for command staff. So you have your uh, district commanders and detectives and you're discussing the uh, recent crimes. And depending upon what the focus is in certain areas, you're either looking at your violent crime or what type of crime is up. And, you know, that does a comparison to, okay, this is what you've had this week versus what you had the, the previous week, what it looked like in the same week of the, the year before. And you've got all of your gear to date totals, your weekly totals, your monthly totals, you know, all of that is broken out. So we're using pieces of technology to do this, um, to, to kind of start the question off. I haven't really begun the answer yet. So <laughs> we use things like map info and, uh, eventually we transition to ArcGIS. Uh, we did a lot of reporting and access, um, and as we begun to move towards a more intelligence-led policing model, um, we started using Analyst Notebook and iBase. And we uh, pulled a lot of the databases or 
everything that we can get our hands on, basically, any database into iBase that we could. So our case management systems and our calls for service and the records management systems, we just pulled all of that into our iBase. That's, uh, that's a lot of technology in, a, uh, in an early adoption sort of uh, time frame. Was anyone in the management chain skeptical of the intelligence-based function? Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the politics around that? Oh, definitely. So anytime you do something like this, you're going to have plenty of skeptics. Um, but you know what you have to remember is um, you're presenting something new, uh, and there's always going to be some resistance to change. Um, a lot of the people that you're going to try and present this information to, you can be dealing with you know detectives who have been solving crimes for 20 plus years, and They've done it the same way without your assistance, and now you're you're trying to trying to step in and say, oh, you know, you can do things this way. You can change it up a little bit. Um, and again, you're going to have some of that resistance to change, but once you prove the value of the tools and what you can provide with that, you know, it's going to be undeniable. Um, and some of the things that we did with the tools, so we automatically generated a report anytime there was a homicide or a non-fatal shooting. Um, and eventually we moved to also generating reports around home invasions and handgun violations. Like anytime we had one of those incidents occurred, uh, that occurred, we'd look at who the victim was or who the suspect was, and we'd just automatically generate a report. Gotcha. Thanks, Quinn. I, I go back to uh, a comment that you made a couple minutes ago where you're scouring the organization, scrounging up any data that you can find and, and dumping that into uh, your analysis tools. Can you talk about the data itself and some of the challenges that you faced in that area? Um, so I kind of mentioned that <laughs> any case management database, you, you may have gotten a clue there. So uh, one of the things in Baltimore that we were dealing with is like every crime type had its own database. So there was a, a homicide database. You had a non-fatal shooting database. There was one for aggravated assaults, one for robberies, one for burglaries. There was one for sex. You know, you've got all these different databases. They've got their own persons tables. So you've got uh, in all the different relationships, you've got victim, witness, suspect, and you have to try and make all these people um, into like this unified identity across all of these databases. And that's where we started using iBase. Um, you know, we were able to consolidate all those databases. So rather than searching 10, 20 different places to, to get, okay, what's the best address for this person? Um, how are they connected to this other person? If you, you know, consolidate all that into iBase, you can, you're just doing one search at that point. And you're also finding connections that you definitely would have missed um, or not having the tools. Wow. So... So who consumed the technology that you provided? That that's that's a lot of potential insight across a myriad of databases. Um, so there are main targets for that. We're going to be the detectives who were actually investigating these crimes, and um, since we were doing this for Comstat as well, uh, we would push this out to the command staff um, so that they were aware of this, um, and we were hoping to assist the investigations. Um, use this during Comstat itself. We would show some of the reports that we'd create. Um, if you're doing briefings on uh, particular crimes or crime trends, uh, and also for just information sharing, if you're across jurisdictions, if you need to pass some information along, uh, some of the reports we created 
would end up being used there as well. I'm uh, again going back to a, another comment that you made earlier where there's uh, these detectives that have been solving crime the old fashioned way for the past 20 years. And all of a sudden you come in with with all this technology and try and help them out. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how the work that you did and, and the visual visual visualization that you were able to do with some of these relationships helped as an investigator and and uh, uh, help some of these detectives? Um, sure, I have a, a great example for that. And um, to, to start you off, though, let me tell you a little bit about how we uh, treated a non-fatal shooting, like when we got a report of that. So if we got a victim name, uh, we'd immediately start creating a chart for this guy. And what it would give us is uh, our shooting, sus I'm sorry, we'd go up off the shooting victim. Uh, we'd look at you know, all of their home addresses, anytime they've been arrested, anytime they've been field interviewed, you know, what phone numbers they've given, um, any type of information that we have on them, we'd get that onto the chart. And then we'd also want to see who's connected to that. So who else has used that same phone number? Who else has lived at that home address? Uh, who they've been arrested with? Who they've been field interviewed with? And, you know, you're bringing, you're building out that network. You're, you're starting to get a bigger picture of who this person is, who they know, what they've been up to. And so we create the, the chart of that. Um, we'd also create that in kind of a re report format. So it's just like tables of uh, information you can read off if that's you know something you work better for, better for you. We'd send that out as well. And we'd also uh, package up a map. Um, we had a, a workspace that kind of worked with our ad base that as soon as we started generating the reports for it, it would uh, put tables out there for us and it would automatically populate a map so you can see where this guy uh, has lived in the city, um, if he's been arrested or field interviewed, where that is in relationship to those. So you'd see all that type of activity. We'd you know, package that up for everybody. And um, early on in the process, we were trying to get people out to see exactly what we do, how we do this. And one of the lieutenants from a district uh, was kind enough to bring his entire detective staff in. And they're sitting in our Comstat room and I'm kind of going through um, some of what we do. And I said, well, to make this easy, why don't I pull up the, the chart from the, the last shooting that you guys had? And I immediately show them, okay, here's your, your shooting victim. You can see he was arrested on this date. And you can see there was a second person arrested on this incident. And, you know, here's your guy there that was arrested with him. And the guy who was arrested with him, you can see he was also field interviewed on this date and this time at this location with him. And as soon as I walk through that, the lieutenant who brought all his detectives in, he like he jumps up, grabs his phone and runs out of the room. And I'm just kind of looking around trying to figure out what's going on. And one of the detectives finally tells me. Oh, so the guy that you showed us who was field interviewed and arrested with the shooting victim, we had him in the interview room earlier today. He told us he didn't know the guy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Funny. Hey, and that reminds me, you know, but before you became an analyst, you were um, an officer on the street. You know, you you walked the beat. You, uh, you know, you had, had work in uh, drugs and gangs. How did that experience as an officer help you as an analyst? So it, it's one of those things that you kind of have the perspective of um, both sides of it. You understand what you need to do with the data to get an outcome. You also have the perspective of being in law enforcement. Here's what's needed next in this investigation. I've got, I've got step one or um, this incident has happened. Where do I go from there? You've already 
you've got the mindset of what you need to do and you also know what to do with the data. Um, and you've got some of the experience. So you, you may even recognize some of the names that come across your desk. Um, as an example of that, um, one of the things uh, before we uh, got too automated, I used to have to every week <laughs> create a, a small table of here's the violent crime that happened um, between when we did our data poll and when we had our CompStat meeting. So I'd create this table of, all right, we've had this many shootings since the last data poll, just so we can throw it on the map. So, we, you know, shootings, homicides, just the violent crimes. And I'm doing that one day and I see a name that pops up into this table that's like it's outside of the period that we're normally looking at, but it's probably going to be talked about in CompStat. Um, and it's a name I recognize as the leader of a gang but it's not denoted yet. And I know that homicide still, you know, they just got this one last night. I don't know how far they in, are into this, but it's a name I've, I've heard and I uh, hadn't completely identified and have like a date of birth or anything, but I knew this name was part of a gang. He was the leader of it. And when I go and talk to the homicide detective about it, um, turns out that there's three other shootings that um, they're able to connect to this shooting because of it. There's like a, a kind of a back and forth between um, different factions of the same gang fighting for leadership. And from that, I think uh, by the time they wrapped it all up, I think there was a total of 17 shootings and homicides that were all connected to this one event where I saw just a name come across the desk and was able to point. I was like, oh, this is uh, gang violence. They're fighting for, you know, who's going to be the top guy in this particular gang. Huh. What, what was the communication channel between the investigator and the analyst? Like how, how did they use the technology specifically like the relationship resolution and identity resolution? Uh, so we wanted to make this uh, as available as possible to our investigators and command staff. So um, I mentioned we did have some incidents that we'd automatically generate those reports for. So like a homicide, the non-fatal shootings, uh, the home invasions, and the handgun violation. Um, and the reason we started doing home invasions is uh, like reading the reports, you'd always see uh, something like, uh, where is so-and-so? So they're looking for some money in particular. Or they'd say, where are the drugs? Where's the money? So it, it wasn't. It was never really a situation where this was a random home invasion, where they're just it's a crime of opportunity. There was there was something known about the location ahead of time, so there was a high probability that you could get something if you did a chart on the people who are victimized, and that they may have some type of connection back to the people who committed the home invasion, and also with handgun violations, um, you're you're looking at people who are carrying a gun around for a reason. So you may have. Uh, close associates of them that will be carrying guns as well, or uh, these are, you know, other people that will show up on their chart are most likely to be involved in your next shootings and homicides. Um, we would take information like that and we post that onto a shared drive so that anybody could go take a look at that. Um, we would also, like if we had uh, requests, we accept those by like email or you could call us in. Uh, call it into the watch center. We worked out of there, so we were you know easily accessible. Uh, there's all there was always somebody in the watch center to take the call, and I think we had like 16 hour coverage for analysts up there. So just about any time you called for information, we were able to get it out to you pretty quickly. Wow. 
Thanks. Yeah, as you as you were commenting, I was thinking about uh, technology. Uh, what were the pieces of technology that worked most effectively? You know, in your experience, what would you recommend? So my favorite software, obviously, <laughs> you'll hear me talk about it a lot, is iBase and Analyst Notebook. Um, I've done a lot of work with that uh, in my career, and um, out of necessity, uh, with when you work in things like that, we did a lot of work in Access for reporting and it's one of those things that you know it's a part of microsoft office and you know most computers you get have it so it was a free piece of software and it's good to be cheap when you can so we did a lot of work in that um we we ran into some issues though when you start working with larger data sets because access will it'll take a nap on you sometimes if you try and give it too much data um but it, it was a useful tool and uh, we did a lot of work with arcgis as well so um but iBase Analyst Notebook and, and ArcGIS, uh, when you get those working together, um, you can do a lot of really good things and uh, you can do a lot of automation. And like I mentioned before, you can you can create those charts in Analyst Notebook from the data you're pulling out of iBase and create some reports in Access. And while you're creating your report in Access, you're, you're generating that table that ArcGIS needs um, to populate a map. You've got, you know, icons and locations already on there. It's, you know, just a really uh, a, a much simpler process at that point for your analysts and officers to understand. Those tools are pretty powerful. I mean, I, I think about it from the standpoint that, gosh, you know, you've got six, eight, ten different data sources and your ability to, to figure out across all of those the who is who and the who knows whom. And then finally, how are they related is, uh, is pretty powerful from an investigative uh, point of view, but also, you know, kind of the, the feet on the street, those folks, you know, the ability for them to, to work more proactively really is enhanced by these tools um, and, and more aggressively identify uh, potential perpetrators. So pretty cool stuff. What, uh, what advice would you give someone that's just starting down the path of implementing a crime analysis function? Is there like a process that you'd recommend, Quinn? Well, the the first thing that I recommend people look at is the end goal. <laughs> this is one instance where you want to start at the end. It's like, what do you want to achieve? Um, uh, what do you want to come out of about this process? Um, and once you decide what your outputs are, um, then you can go back and look at the resources that you have, the data that's available, and you can determine whether your resources and data can get you to that output that you want. Um, and if you don't have the data and resources, can you recalibrate? Okay, can you start collecting that data? Can you get that data somewhere else? Um, are you able to get additional resources that you need to get to that end goal that you wanted? You know, you don't want to, if anything, try not to change your end goal first, work on adjusting on the front end, but if you can't, and then you have to start to level set and say, okay, well, if I can't get the data, I can't get the resources, um, then let's adjust uh, what my expectations are, what what's the end goal, what's realistic, and what can we do? And once you can say, okay, well, what I have at the beginning, my data and my resources, yes, I can achieve what these goals are. Um, you, you have to kind of think from both ends and like build to the middle is the easiest way to do it. And it, it's, it's simple from there. It, it may not sound like it, but once you have uh, that well-defined set of end goals and the data to support it, 
it's easy enough to to reach your goals. That, that makes really good sense. You know, kind of the uh, sense making, so to speak, of of the data that you have in hand. And surely, in today's day and age, with the uh, information sharing, both across agencies and um, you know, statewide and federal, there's a, there's a plethora of data. But really, making use of the data that you have right there before you uh, surely makes great sense. So Quinn, I, we appreciate uh, uh, your time this morning and I thought we could finish up with uh, story time here, a success story. Can you give us an example of how your hard work helped get a bad guy off the street? Sure. And so if you've ever seen me present uh, iBase uh, through it, there's a PowerPoint presentation I do, not the live one, but if you see my PowerPoint, uh, PowerPoint stack, you've, you've heard this story before, but it's one of my favorites. It's a, a pizza robbery investigation. Um, so our citywide robbery unit in Baltimore gives us a call with playing research while we're still like just we're still doing all of our imports. We don't even have all the data in yet. Uh, haven't even identified all of our sources, um, but we decide that we want to help them do whatever we can for them. And story kind of goes like this. Um, a group of juveniles call in the order for pizza and the delivery driver shows up. Uh, they beat up the driver, take his phone, his money, and the pizzas, and run off. So all we really have to work on is uh, here's the phone number that the pizza shop was called from, and we know it's a group of juveniles. So searching iBase using that, um, we were able to find uh, one juvenile that was connected with that phone number. Um, we were able to find a home address for him, and we found out that he had a brother that also lives at that home address, and his brother was the member of a gang, and it was a smaller gang. There were only uh, three other members of that gang identified, so we had five juveniles that we identified. So we had the guy from the phone number, his brother, and three people that he was attached to through a gang, and that was about as far as we could go at that point, again, because you know we hadn't even imported all of our data yet. But we got that to them pretty quickly. We sent it off and we kind of went heads down again and started doing the imports. So a couple of weeks later, we finished uh, doing all of our imports and it crossed the mind. Like, well, we sent that uh, information off the citywide robbery unit, but they never called us back. I wonder what happened. Um, so in iBase, I, I pull it up and I take a look and the uh, initial juvenile, his brother and the three people we sent them um, all five of them were arrested for that robbery and they had identified three other juveniles and arrested them uh, in connection to that robbery. And that was all just from a phone number. Nice. Wow. That, that, that's great. It's good. To, it's good to see the, the intelligence in action. Quinn, thanks for sharing your experiences. And for those of you out there that are going on similar journeys you know, whether you're in law enforcement, finance, government, or, or any other in industries, we've got people like Quinn who've been there and know, you know, they, they know the path. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to understand your challenges uh, and assist you in achieving your analysis and, and your intelligence goals. If you've got a specific threat or fraud topic that you'd like for us to address in future episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at alpineinc.com. On behalf of Quinn, Earl, and myself, we'd like to thank you very much for your time 
Uh, to learn more about Alpine, please visit us at www.alpineinc or contact Earl at estevens, that's E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, at alpineinc.com. Thank you very much.